It's nice to see you this morning. Hope you had a good weekend. We're on our last week of this series about work and your career and advancing in it. Have you felt like the quality of service has dropped over the years? There's certain areas I've seen that, like it seems like service at certain places was better. I don't know if it's because they hire less workers, so there's less people able to help you at certain places, but it is something I notice in certain situations and certain type of, type of places. But as I think about us as believers and followers of Christ, quality of service should be what we're about. You know, it should be a reflection of how we do things. And it shouldn't just show at work. We want to have the best quality parenting skills that we can. We want to have the best quality uh, relationships that we can. It should represent our whole life. In Matthew 5.16, in your notes, it says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Having this type of standard of excellence or quality in your life, it's a way of letting your light shine. It is a testimony of your faith because it shows how your faith affects your life. My faith has to be more than something inside where I feel security that someday I'm going to be with God. It needs to also affect the way I live on earth and the type of way I present myself and the type of life I have. It's a reflection of what I really believe. And it shows at work, the quality of my work. My desire and effort to do the very best that I can should be shown there. One of the best examples is in the Old Testament with Daniel. In Daniel 6.3, it says, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was so, he had such a high standard of excellence that the king wants to put him second in command under him. That's a high standard of excellence. But let's, let me tell you a little bit more about that story. Daniel is a prisoner of war. Now, it, it, now that's really odd. You get this guy, he's a prisoner of war, and you're so impressed by this prisoner of war that you decide to put him second in your command. How impressive is that? Also, Daniel wasn't from that country, so Daniel was learning the language. So he's still just learning the language. And he's so impressive by his work and his skill and his talents that in a foreign country with a foreign economy, a country that was hostile to them in war before that time, this guy impressed the king so much that the king wants to put him in charge. Now, if Daniel in that situation can pursue excellence, come on, we have it way better than that. None of us are prisoners of war. You know, we, we, I think we understand the language here pretty well. We don't have all those odds against us. Sometimes the only odd that we have against us is ourselves. We're not willing to pursue it sometimes. We can sometimes be satisfied with just getting by. You know, that was good enough. You know, at work, I just do what I have to do to make sure I don't get fired, do the bare minimum, and I get my paycheck, and that's good enough. But that's not what God 
is about. He really wants you to pursue excellence. He wants you to have the, be the best that you can be. I understand this because I have kids. I want my kids you know, to be the best that they can be within their abilities, within their talents, within their gifts. You know, but within that, I want them to be the best that they can be. I don't want them to just say, what's my goal? Mediocrity. That's my goal. If I can just be you know, average, that's my goal. No, I want them to do the best they can. God wants you to do the best you can. Now, your best might be different than somebody else's best. There are some people that are more gifted. You know, you could be a professional pitcher, and some people are more gifted. And you can do your best and still not be the best pitcher in the league. But you can take pride in, I did the very best I could. I trained hard. I did everything I should do to pursue the highest that I can go. But you're going for the highest standard that you have. So how do you excel in what you do? Number one, you'll find this common with people across the board throughout the world, and it's all in the Bible. Number one, people who excel work with enthusiasm. They're enthusiastic about what they're doing. They're excited about it. People never do a great job when they're not excited about their work. Because then what happens is their desire is to look at that clock and they can't wait till they get to the end of that clock so they can go home. There's no enthusiasm there. You're never going to reach the top if you're not excited about what you do. In Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever your task is, put your whole heart and soul into it. That means you're, you're enthusiastic. You're putting everything you have into it as work done for the Lord and not merely for men. So it doesn't even matter now what my job is because I'm going to do it for God. God, I've decided to see you as my boss, and I'm going to work as hard as I can because you might not like your real boss. Your real boss, you don't care about pleasing them, maybe. But you say, hey, God, I'm doing it for you. I'm going to go as hard and give it 100% because of you. And the enthusiasm comes out of faith. It comes out of faith because you believe that you're supposed to excel and do the best you can. So you try. And you, you put the best foot forward. It doesn't matter if you're in school and it's talking about homework. If you're on a sports team and it's excelling, it's work. Anything in life. Try to be the best that you can be. I want to be the best father I can. I want to be the best father I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. You know, I want to excel on the important things. I want to be the best pastor I can be. I want to be the best coach I can be. You know, you give it everything you have. It never works out if you don't have enthusiasm behind it. Show business. They say there's no small parts. There's only small actors. Which means if you're a great actor, you give it all you have, even if the part that you have is like, you feel like, well, this part is pretty insignificant. In the movie, great actors give it all they can. They give it their best effort. Last week, we looked at one extreme. You don't want to be a workaholic, right? But this is the other extreme. You also don't want to be lazy. You know, you want to be enthusiastic in the hours that you're there. You have to put a limit. Like, I'm never going to work so much that I'm going to let it ruin my marriage. I'm never going to work so much that, it's gonna, that I'm going to let it ruin my relationship with my kids. Because it can. It can do those things. I'm never going to work that much. But... When I work, I'm going to give it 100%. And that's what it means. So you don't become a workaholic, but you're also 
you don't want to be lazy. You want to be a good worker. Look at Proverbs 10.26. A lazy fellow is a pain to his employers. Like smoke in their eyes or vinegar that sets teeth on edge. It's saying when you're lazy, you're irritating everybody at work. You irritate them. You know, the boss gets irritated. Why is this guy so lazy? Why are they always slacking off? Why is it that I always have to give them a nudge and a push because they just don't have that enthusiasm to go for it? And you can be a nice person, but it becomes an irritant to your boss. In Proverbs 18, 9, it says, one who is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. Why would it say that? Why would it say if you're lazy, you know, if you're lazy? Because what are you destroying? You're destroying the business. If you hire somebody and you have a company and they're lazy, the business is what suffers. It's destroying the business. One who is slack in his work, lazy, is a brother to the one who destroys. Because you're wasting money. You're wasting your boss's money. Your boss hires you for one reason, to make more money than what he's paying you. That's what he does. He's investing in you because he believes you being there is going to make a profit. And if he feels like you're not making a profit, he's going to start trying to find out ways to get rid of you once he can find somebody else. Because it really does sabotage his business. When you work, you're there to make the company successful. And that's how you work up the ladder because people say, okay, this person works hard. You know, that's the type of attitude we want to have. And it is a Christian attitude because it's God who tells us Work as if we're working for him, not for your boss. In that passage that I read where it says, work for them as if you're working for the Lord, you know who he's talking to? Slaves. Slaves. Now, it's not the same kind of slave that we had in America. Things are different. In America, slavery, the Bible, the Bible talks about the evil slavery, where what happened to the Israelites in Egypt and it talks about uh, slave trading and stuff like that, where you capture people and force them into slavery. Okay, that's always been evil and wrong from beginning to end of the Bible. But though this is the Roman government. Here's how slavery worked. I could be a doctor, and I take out a loan to buy a new house, let's say, and I get into financial problems, and now I can't pay the loan. The law was, I'm now that guy's slave until I pay him off. Do you know that the majority of people in Rome were slaves, the majority. Okay, so when you read this, you have to read it in context because there's some slavery that we need to rebel against, right? This is a slavery, and it was slavery, but it was a slavery that I, put, I chose to put myself into, and it was within their legal system. I knew ahead of time if I took that loan what the possible consequences are. It's not like, oh, what a surprise. So it was something different than what we think of in America when we think of slavery, but still, this is talking about slavery. He's saying slaves, if you read the whole passage, he's telling the slaves to their masters, those type of slaves, you work for them as hard as you can as if you're working for God. Because I think if you kind of become their slave because you owe them money, even though it was a risk that you took, you might have resentment toward those guys. Because they do have the power to like say, okay, it's fine. You don't owe me anything. And apparently if they're a slave, they didn't do that. So when you get the full context of this, wow. If I get in this thing where I become this person's slave and Paul says, give it 
in our situation, it's way better than that situation. We have no excuse for not giving it 100%. Number two, people who excel sharpen their skills. Everybody that's moving up, they're constantly learning. They're constantly developing. They're constantly trying to improve. Anybody that's been in the computer business knows like things move so rapidly. But it's like that everywhere. Whatever the business you're in, there's always more things happening. Whatever you learn in school is obsolete. It's really obsolete when you're learning it because the books that you're reading in school are usually three, four, five years old, and technology's already improved by the time. So you're studying something, and you're still behind, and you're in a university. So things are always improving, and if you don't always improve, if you're not always sharpening your skills, you can start off strong at the beginning, but a few years down the road, you're behind. It's a continuous thing. Continue to read things. Continue to learn things. Continue to find out what's on the cutting edge. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man who is skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. And that's what happened to Daniel. He's a prisoner of war. And he was so skilled in his work, he now is serving before the king. It's exactly what happened. So that means... It would mean like this. You're doing so good that the president says, hey, I want you to work for me. Or you're doing so good that the governor says, hey, I want you to work for me. Or you're doing so good that the mayor says, I want you to work for me. And there, obviously the king was all powerful. We can't compare a political leader to a king because a political leader isn't all powerful, but the king was. But it's like the most powerful man in the world or in your world is saying, I want you to work for me. Wow. That's stunning. But that's the idea of what Scripture is saying. That's God's standard for us. God wants us to have that type of work ethic that people that would mean a lot to us want us on their team. Like, I want you on my team. Isn't that great? I have this girl that's helping me coach, and great girl. And I've already had two other coaches talking to her saying, we want you to come over to Santa Monica and help us. And, you know, uh, one of the Torrance coaches is saying the same thing. You know Why? Because she's such a dedicated, good, hardworking person that everybody wants her to be part of their girls' wrestling team, you know, uh, coaching. And that's what you want. I was proud. I was proud. I don't get jealous saying, hey, don't talk to, my, don't talk to Ariel. I don't do that. I'm just very proud to say, like, wow, everybody wants her on their coaching staff. But I've got her because she used to wrestle for me. But it, it's, it's fun, you know what I'm saying, to see that. That's the way you want to be. You want to make that impact. So everybody wants you on their team. Everybody's fighting over trying to hire you. Instead of you're doing everything to try to get a job, they're doing everything to try to give you a job. And you're having to say no here and no there because you have too many offers. That's the idea. Sharpen your skills so that you become like that, so people want you. I think, what would be the hardest place to sharpen your skills? That's in an area where everybody else is already doing it. I think, how many people like to bake cookies? A lot. Then I think of Mrs. Fields. She made millions of dollars. She employed thousands of people. The economy and everything that came out of this one lady, what was she doing? The same thing that everybody does at home. And she made cookies and marketed it out and becomes a multimillionaire doing something that everybody does. So... Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you can't make a million off of it because you take it the next step.
Because who would ever think that this lady would end up becoming a millionaire making cookies, chocolate chip cookies? And are her chocolate chip cookies so much better than everybody else's? She does have a high standard of excellence, but, you know, there's other people that make chocolate chip cookies probably equally well, but she's the millionaire because she took it and she kept running with it and uh, figuring out how to do it better and how to develop a system and everything. And now here she is working hard. She made millions of dollars. I don't know how much, but you know she made a lot because it's sold all over the country. Another thing that excellent people do with a skill, one of the skills is managing their time. Because if you use your time right, time is money. You know, you use your time right, you're going to make more money. Look at Proverbs 12, 11. It is stupid to waste time on useless projects. They learn what to say no to and what to say yes to. Because you can spend a lot of time on things that just don't need to be done. Here's a poem. I've gone for a drink and sharpened my pencils. Searched through my desk for forgotten utensils. I reset my watch. I adjusted my chair. I've loosened my tie and straightened my hair. I filled my pen and tested the blotter. Gone for another drink of water. Adjusted the calendar and raised the blinds and sorted erasers of all different kinds. Now down to work, I can finally sit. Oops, too late. It's time to quit. <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes. People are wasting their time on the insignificant things, and they don't really accomplish anything. And it's like, use your time wisely, and you can have success. Proverbs 28, 19. People who waste time will always be poor. Like I said, time is money. Time is money. Time is more important than money because you can always get more and more and more money, but you're always going to be limited on how much time you have. So your time is more important because if you waste your time, you can never get it back. I've seen people waste money and find ways to get tons more. I've seen people waste time, and they never get time back. So it's more important. So if you use your time wisely, it can really help you in wealth. Do you know that I believe, I believe God wants you to be as successful and as wealthy as you have the ability to be. Okay? I really believe that. I think that God wants you to go for it. I don't think that money's the most important value. I think that family's more important and other things. But I think God really wants you to, like, I see, like, if your dad and mom see that you do a business and you're excelling, they feel, oh, that's my son. Oh, that's my daughter. They feel so proud of you. God feels proud of you when you're tr doing things to succeed. I think he wants you to have success. In Proverbs 19.8, do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will prosper. So it's the idea that you keep learning, you keep developing, you keep sharpening your skills. There are certain people that don't get fired. And obviously, a lot of not getting fired has to do with chemistry, that you have a good personality and good relationship with people. That's very important. But other than that, people don't want to fire the person that keeps growing and learning and growing and learning. Because even if something happens where they need to lay off people in a certain section, They'll lay people up, but they'll try to find a way to keep this person because they see how he excels and how he learns or what she's doing. And they'll find a way, like, maybe we can put him or her over here because people never want to give away someone valuable, even if they have to change a certain department. 
And they, okay, we're going to change this to a certain department, but we're going to let them all go. Is, but, oh, but not this person. Let's keep them. They're, they're going to do everything they can. Why? Because nobody wants to let diamonds slip away. And they know who the diamonds are. So make sure that you're always learning and growing and learning and growing so you don't become obsolete. Because as time goes, if you're not learning, you become obsolete. You get behind the times, and you're not good for them anymore because everybody's moved beyond you. Number three, people who excel keep their word. They're dependable. They're reliable. You can count on them. If they say they're going to meet you at this time, they're there. They're trustworthy. They're responsible. If you say to them, I need you to do this and this and this, and it has to be ready by Wednesday, and if they say to you, got it, you know it's going to be ready by Wednesday. You know it. They're also the type of people that would say, I can't have that ready by Wednesday. If you really want that, the way you're saying it, it's going to be Friday. Because they're, they're dependable. They're, you can trust what they say. And they're going to be upfront with you. It can't happen. If they say, well, you have to have it by Wednesday. It's not going to happen by Wednesday. Because they, they're people that they're reliable. They're not going to give you a false promise. They're not going to say, yes, it's done to make you happy in the moment. And then Wednesday comes in, it's not done. And you were depending on it. They're upfront so you know what you're dealing with. And what does that do? It builds trust with your boss. It builds trust with the customer. Have you ever been a customer and they tell you, yes, we'll have it done by 2 o'clock. And you go there at 2 o'clock to pick it up or whatever, and they haven't even started on it yet. And they didn't give you a call. And what is it? it makes you think, I don't, they're just saying what they have to say to get, to get me to sign the paper so they do the business. But I don't trust them. Because they've, they've, they've shown themselves not to be trustworthy. It happens all the time. But you have, you've also had experiences where when they say it, it's done, and you trust those companies, and they continue to be that way. They continue that. I have uh, two Nissans, and I take it over to the place there in Gardena. And every time I ask them, how long is it going to be? And they say four hours or something like that. And every time, it's like three hours. I, I think it's wise of them. They always tell me something, and I think, oh, four hours, that's a long time. And it's always done, sometimes two hours or whatever. They always overestimate, and they're really friendly. They always overestimate, and they're always done way earlier. And I notice, like, wow, they're kind of smart because they're not someone that gets everybody mad. I never get mad when they call me, when I'm expecting it to be four hours, and they call me after two and a half hours and say, hey, we were able to get it done earlier. You can come over. I've never gotten mad about that. But I used to sometimes take my car to another place, and if they said 4 o'clock, you know it's going to be 6 o'clock because they were saying what you want to hear to get your business, and it was making me mad. So these things make a difference, your word. In Proverbs 26, everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is, but just try to find someone who really is. Everybody talks about it like 4 o'clock. Everybody talks What's loyal and faithful, you can trust me. But they're not always really trustworthy. I'll have it done by 4 o'clock. But they know when they're saying it, it's going to be 6 o'clock. You know, but they, you can't trust them. Why is Old Faithful and Yellowstone so popular? It's not the most beautiful geyser. There's some that are way more beautiful. It's not the biggest one. There's some that are way bigger. Everybody loves it because it's dependable and reliable, and you can count on it. It's because every 21 minutes it's going to blow or whatever the time is, you know. But every 22 minutes it, it's going to go. And if you want to see a geyser, that's your only guarantee. Because that one's on a clock somehow. 
We don't know why. I don't know how, why scientists probably do. But you go there and they say, okay, it's going to go up probably in about seven more minutes. And they might be off 30 seconds to a minute. But when they say you, it's reliable and you go, and oh, I want to see a geyser. I've never seen one. You go to Yellowstone. Now, there are some that are like amazing, like you can't believe it. But they never know when it's going to go. And you could sit there for a month waiting for it. You see? So you know what? Nobody goes there. Nobody cares about the most beautiful one. Nobody cares about the one that's highest. The only way you can see it is somebody sets up some sort of filming it and just waits and hope that they get lucky before the film runs out or whatever. You know what I mean? Because the timing, the chances are just too low. People love Old Faithful because it's dependable, reliable. You know it's going to happen, and you know when. People love you when you're dependable, reliable. They know what's going to happen, and they know when. It makes a world of difference at work. It makes a world of difference in life. You're light years ahead of people that have more talent than you if you're dependable. In Proverbs 25, 19, depending on an unreliable person in a crisis is like trying to chew with a loose tooth or walk with a crippled foot. I remember I sprained my ankle, and trying to walk on it was just really horrible. And they said, that's what it's like to try to rely on somebody that's not dependable. I can remember being a little kid and your teeth are, when a tooth is loose and it's going to come out and you try to eat. It's not comfortable when the, you know, those things aren't comfortable. So that's what it's like. That's how irritating it is for someone when you're trying to rely on somebody and they're not reliable. So as a person of faith, you want to be dependable. You want to be reliable. That is an example of your faith. Colossians 3.22 Obey your masters not only when their eye is on you, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's being reliable when you work, even though they're not watching. Because sometimes your boss isn't there, so you say, oh, I can relax now. I know he's paying me, and he thinks, or he's ex at least expecting me to keep working while he's gone. But ah, he's out of the way, and I don't have to worry about it. I was reading a story about in South America. I just thought it was a really humorous story because of how people are. This is over 100 years ago, okay? And this guy was, uh, they were growing some sort of crops in this field and stuff. So they hired all of the uh, native people from that land uh, to, in South America to do the work. Uh, there, were, there weren't enough other people there, and they were willing to do the work there that he needed done. But he noticed, like he would pay them a certain amount of money each day, but he would notice that anytime he left, they would stop working. They still expected the pay, but, but any time he came in, they'd start working because he's there. And this guy had a glass eye, so he figured out something. He, uh, uh, because they didn't know what a glass eye was. They'd never seen anything like this because their technology was nothing like what we have. So he took out his glass eye and put it on a tree stump facing them. And they were like, and then he walked away, and they thought that glass eye was still watching them. So they were working, 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 working. So because the whole time he was gone. But then after a little while, one of them got this great idea. If I can sneak around over here when the eye doesn't see me, I can go around behind it, and I can take my hat and put it over the eye, and he won't see who did it. And we can all relax and start hanging out again and having a good time. <laughs> so one day he came back, and he saw a hat over his eye, and they were all like, oh, his boss is there. Like, they, they, they outsmarted him. You know? <laughs> but the thing about it is we want to be the type of people that you don't have to look at me to see if I'm working. You know what I mean? You don't have to have your eye on me to make sure I work. Because I, I have character. I'm if, I, if you hire me, I'm going to work for you even if you're not looking. Even when 
you know, you're not around. And that's how you rise up. Because if I have someone working for me, who do I want to make a supervisor? Who do I want to raise up in a company? Someone that if I said, hey, I'm going to be gone tomorrow, you're in charge, right? Somebody that would be equal to me being there, you know? But who are you going to put in charge? Someone that, that's, that you know is going to keep working because you already see their character. They're that type of person, so you want to put them in charge because they're going to, they already have that mindset. So you work up to the top of your company, if you're running a company, you put those type of people in charge because you want the best people for your business. Number four, people who excel maintain a positive attitude. And you notice even under pressure, even when there's unrealistic demands put on them, they still are positive people. There are some people that all they do is gripe and complain about everything at work. You don't want to be that type of person because what happens is, if someone always complains and gripes, complains and gripes, complains and gripes, you quit listening to that person. But if someone over here, um, one of the coaches I deal with, he's a doctor, and he's just a really super guy, but he never says anything much about anything. But when he does, all the other coaches stop and listen. If he says, I think that we're doing something, we can improve this. Everybody stops and listens. Why? Because he rarely brings up an idea, and when he does, it's because it's really thought out, and no one would ever think that he's just someone that's always just saying something. No. And then we listen, because he's earned our respect by being quiet. You know, me and the other coaches, we haven't earned people's respect like that. We're always talking about things. Oh, I think we need to do this. I think we need to do that. And we're always excited, and I don't know if we hear each other. <laughs> But when he speaks, everybody stops and listens. There's an old um, TV commercial way back when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen, and they'd have a commercial, and everybody's talking, and somebody would talk about E.F. Hutton, and everybody in the whole restaurant would stop to listen. Well, that's, uh, that's the doctor on our wrestling team. When he speaks, everybody listens. Why? Because he's quiet. He doesn't, he's not someone constantly bringing up stuff. So when he does, you know it's something that's important because... He waits until it's that important, and he gets everybody's full attention. So you don't want to be someone always negative, always complaining. You want to pick and choose what's worth bringing up in those ways. Because if you always hear it, then they just think, oh, that's just the way he is. It's just his personality. He's negative. And what happens when somebody says that? That means don't listen to him. That's what they're saying. Oh, it's just the way he is. He's always negative. Well, that, that's saying don't listen to him. It's not worth wasting your time. Now, the guy might be very valid what he's saying, but because he's always saying it in negative, that's exactly what gets communicated is don't listen. It's just the way he is. But when you're quiet most of the time and you speak, they listen because they know it's not the way you are. In Philippians, do all things without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless, shining like lights in a dark world. It's saying when you're someone that doesn't grumble, when you're someone that's not always negative at work, you're like that bright star in a dark night. You get noticed. You get noticed. Like they notice, like this person's not a trouble, you know, because when you're always complaining, you start feeling like a troublemaker. But they notice that person. It's like something in a dark world being bright. I want to be that. I want to be something bright in a dark world. Sometimes... 
We can be legal, legalistic and rigid and impatient and cranky and negative. I've seen four types of complainers. You have the whiner. They're always complaining about things that aren't being, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. The martyr, no one appreciates me. Nobody likes me. The cynic, why even bother? We're not going to reach our goals. Why even try? And then the perfectionist, is that the best you can do? And no matter what you do, you can't please them. All those things, they bring destruction on a company. It doesn't help your company. It doesn't help your work. That type of thing brings it down. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, if the boss is angry with you, don't quit. A quiet spirit will quiet his bad temper. It's saying, if you're working good and you have a certain thing and the boss gets mad at you, and believe me, you can be the best worker in the whole world, and sometime the boss is going to get mad at you. It's going to happen. Probably. I mean, it can happen. And it's just be quiet. It's going to pass. It doesn't mean that you're ruined. And you have success. You have success. Proverbs 15, 18. Hot tempers cause arguments, but patience brings peace. It's the same thing. Just be patient. Just be patient. Sometimes we have a certain referees that are just, it seems like they're against our team. And I never get in their face. I never argue with them. But what I do is I try to become their friend. I try to become their friend. And I've seen this even this weekend. There's a referee that's always been, I don't know why. I think he thinks that, uh, I really feel like by the attitude he's been is he thinks that our kids are somehow feel like they're entitled or something. I don't know why he has this attitude toward my team. You know, but I, I see it, and the other coaches see it. But the funny thing is, uh, yesterday I was talking to him in tournaments, just being his friend and just hanging out with him. And we were in a match that would have been a conflict because he's really angry referee. Like if I stop the match to talk to him, he's always like angry. And he was actually talking to me like I was his friend now. And the whole attitude changed. And it didn't seem like he was like negative toward Maricosta. And I think it's that relationship. Maybe, maybe he had some preconceived ideas about our team. And maybe because I was talking to him and getting to know him and trying to bri uh, bridge that gap. Maybe it made him think, oh, they're not so bad after all. I don't know, but all I can tell you is there was a change. There was a change in that day because of the time I spent with him in the morning. It changed everything. So these people that you might think are so bad and you want to argue with them, be patient. Try to bridge that gap. It's always going to be better than a fight. A fight's going to just make things worse, I'm sure. And then number five, people who excel do more than what's expected. That's why they go to the top, because they do more than what's expected. People don't expect you to take that extra mile. In Matthew 5, 41, it says, if anybody forces you to go a mile with him, do more, more than what's expected. Go two miles with them. In the Roman Empire during this time, there was a law. If a soldier had to carry a load of stuff, by law, he could find anybody he wanted to and say, hey, you, carry this for me. But the law only allowed him to force somebody to carry it for one mile. There was a limit to how far he could go. So I could have this person carry this for one mile. Then I say, hey, you, take over. And, as a, and I could do it mile after mile after mile. But the rule was a one-mile limit per person. And if I didn't have anybody to carry it, then I had to carry it myself. So th this was the law of the land, and this is how things worked. And then under that guideline, Jesus is saying, if anybody forces you to go a mile with them, talking about the soldiers, do more, go two miles with them. 
that would blow their minds. Who in their right mind, when the law says one mile, I say, you're going to carry this for me and you have to do it. At the end of the mile, I have to take it back, so I do. And he said, no, 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 I'll go another mile. What? What? Nobody in their right mind would do that. It was Jesus that said it. I have a feeling that Jesus is in his right mind. And when you handle your business that way, what can we do to go that extra mile? Man, you're going to have customers breaking the doors in to get your business. Because very few people really, really, really go that extra mile for you. If you're working at a company and you go that extra mile for the boss, it means a lot. And your future is going to be better because you're going to be the one that they want to give the pay raise to. You're the one that they want to do everything they can to keep. When you go beyond the call of duty, when you put forth that extra effort, it's really the most radical thing that you can do. If you own a business or if you're working someplace, it's the most radical thing you could do. I mean, we have a lot of companies that would say, okay, if we use fake cheese, we can make more money. But that's not going the extra mile. You know, I don't even know, what is fake cheese? Is that oil that they make it look like cheese? Or An example, a good example is Elazar. He was Abraham's servant. And Abraham sent him to Abraham's homeland, because Abraham wasn't living there anymore, to find a wife for his son Isaac. Because the people where Abraham were, they were worshiping idols and stuff like that, and he didn't want his son marrying a woman that worshiped idols because he knew the kids would end up going into idol worship. And he wanted them to follow the God of the Bible. So we need to find someone from the homeland that has the same faith that we have. So Elazar goes back there, and he says, how am I going to find a wife for Isaac? What did I do? So he gets this great idea. God, I'm going to ask you for a miracle. When the women come out to the well to get water, which they always do at a certain time in the morning, he says, I'm going to ask, is there anybody that can give me a, may I have a drink? And the woman that comes up to me and says, let me give you a drink, and oh, I'll give water for your camels as well. He had 10 camels. You have to realize, a camel can drink 30 gallons of water. So let me give you a drink, and by the way, let me get 300 gallons of water for your camels. No one's going to go that extra mile. He put God to the test. God, I don't know who to pick, so you need to bring me someone that's really willing to do the extra mile so I know for sure, because that's something no woman's going to do. They might say this, here's some water, and you can use whatever water you want for your camel, but he's going to do it, of course. But no one would say, and let me do it for you. That's exactly what Rebecca did. She walked up, oh, here, here, have some water. Oh, and I'll take care of your camels too. And she was just a young lady. I think they think she was probably 16 years old in those days because that's around the time that you get married back in those days. And she's up there doing 300 gallons of water for these camels. And he doesn't help her. He just sits to watch because he's got to, he can't believe his own eyes is what it is. Is she really going to do this? And she does. And little did she know that he's looking for a wife for the second most wealthiest guy in the whole Middle East. Do you know that at that time, Pharaoh was the wealthiest guy in the uh, Middle East and Abraham was the second. And she was going to become the wife of the second richest man in the whole Middle East. She didn't know that. She was doing it because of character. She was doing it because that's the type of person she is. 
She went the extra mile, and she got a lot more than 300 gallons of water out of it. Okay, you never know. And she became the mother of a nation. The whole Jewish people are from her. So you never know what God's going to do for you, but I will tell you this. When you go the extra mile, God sees it, and I believe God blesses it in ways that you could never, never imagine. She couldn't imagine it. According to the measure you give, it will give, be given back to you. That's what the Bible says. And in this case, according to the measure you give, it will be given back to you multiple times over. It wasn't just given back. It was given back to her way more because you can't outbless God. You think, okay, God, my goal is to outbless you. I'm going to outbless you. I'm going to bless you more than you can bless me. I mean, go for it. That's good. Go for it. Try to bless God more than he can bless you. But you're going to lose that battle. He's going to bless you more than you can bless him. He is. But go for it. And that's what she was doing. You have this character. I'm going to go the second mile. I'm going to do better than that. And the companies that do better, like I'm going to do better than that, it makes a difference. You know, one of the things I noticed, like, and a lot of companies do this now, but it used to wasn't this way. But when you take your car into a shop and they fix it, and then they take it to the car wash and clean it all up for you and then bring it back, and you go to pick up your dirty car that you left with them, and it's all nice and clean. And Why do they do that? Because they learn when you go the extra mile, you keep your customers. The amount of money it costs them to get it cleaned is nothing compared to the money they're making. But because they do the extra mile, what happens? You keep going there. Because they prove to you that, wow, these guys really care. Oscar Hammerstein, the thing I was reading about him, is very interesting. When the Statue of Liberty was brought here and stood up, there were no helicopters. There were no airplanes. This was way before that time. And if you know anything about art, the amount of money and time and expertise that you do to make that is very expensive. I mean, it's a big deal to make that. And obviously... What's never, ever going to be seen, because remember, they didn't invent planes yet, or they didn't invent helicopters yet, so it wasn't even a thought in their mind. On the Statue of Liberty, what are you never going to see? The top. So everybody knew that they didn't have to worry about the top. So everything, but if you get on the top, you're going to look down, and never knowing that someday people are going to see the top and say, like, whoa, what happened here? But without knowing that, he did the whole top equal to the rest. And you think at that time, why? How many extra hours did he spend on the top when no one's ever going to see? No one ever, ever is going to see it because they, they don't know a helicopter is going to be there. How much money did he spend on the top? And if you look at it, it's equal to the rest. So he put the same effort into it. Why would he do that? Because he saw it. He looked at it, and, and he saw the top, and it disgusted him. And he, so he made the top as good because it was his character. It was his own personal pride. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 100% right whether anybody sees it or not. Because it's not about whether you see it or not. It's about who I am. Why would I do that? I feel like it's halfway. I'm going to finish the head. And what was such a waste of time and money to finish the head. The best way to see the Statue of Liberty, I mean, people pay money to go and see it on helicopters today. And you know what? They don't see an ugly head on top. 
is perfect on top. And he had no idea when he was doing this that someday would, people would see it. He just knew, I know. I know the difference. But that's the character of, of good business. Like, maybe you can use the fake cheese a little bit and nobody would know. You know what I mean? But I know. Maybe you could cut a corner here and nobody would know. But, but I know. That's the type of character you have to excel. Because when you think like that, you end up doing it right. And down the road, people do find out. And down the road, they find out, oh, these cabinets weren't made right, or this, whatever it is. Oh, they cut a corner here or cut a corner there, but you can't see it on the outside. But you knew, and God knows. More than that, God knows the quality of your work. Listen to what God says here. Paul is saying it, but it says this. The quality of each man's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it, which means someday you're going to be standing before God and everything's known. For that day's fire will reveal every man's work. The fire will test it and show its real quality. If it survives, he will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, he will lose it. Then he adds a little comment here. But he himself will be saved. What he's saying there is, don't worry, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not, this isn't about salvation. Like, are you, do I go to heaven because I do a good work job? And, oh, you do a bad job, you're going to hell. You do a great job, you're going to heaven. He's saying, it's not about salvation. But what he's saying is, People work, and they have this idea that sometimes people don't know. And he's saying, God knows the quality of your work. He's talking about work. And someday you're going to be judged that. God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And you want to be able to say, I gave it my best shot? Or you can say, I skipped out here and skipped out here, and every time I could get by with it, I would cheat the customer out because they wouldn't know. Or I would say I did this and put this part in, but I didn't really, but I know that they would never check. So I can make a little extra money. You know, that's the quality of my work. I was saying, you might get by with it here on earth, but God knows. And someday you're going to be stand before God. And he says, I'm going to judge the quality of your work. Meaning, we as believers, we're supposed to give it 100%. We're supposed to do the best that we can. It doesn't matter if I'm a homemaker, a truck driver, a lawyer, a waitress, a clerk, a secretary, or the president of the United States. It doesn't matter who I am. I'm supposed to give the best job that I, that I know how to do. And my desire is that people would say, oh, like I'm a boss. Oh, that's a person of faith. Oh, I know what that means. That means that they're a good worker. I don't know if that's what bosses say. That's a person of faith. They're a good worker. But if we as believers, we as people of faith, if we are going for it the way that God designed us to, that should be the first thing that they think. Oh, that person's a person of faith. Oh, I want to hire them. You know what that means? That means that they work 100%. They go all out. And we can't control what other people do, but I would like to say we can control what we would do. At least I hope that if they say, oh, they're from Church of the Beach Cities, that means they work hard. You know, because I don't know what others... But that's a quality we want to have. That's the type of people we want to be. Someone that people want to hire us because they know that we give it 100%. So... In this series on work, I think God has spoken to us a lot through Scripture and how to be the best we can be because you're spending most of your waking hours at work. So we want to give it the best shot. It's such a major portion of our life. And if we really go with the right attitude and the right mindset and do things God's way, I'm telling you, we will succeed. We will move up in the business and we will reap the benefits 
of that. The benefits of that is you have an easier living. You can have a nicer home, a nicer car. Those things aren't bad. They're just bad when you think that that's going to make you happier. You know what I mean? What makes you happy is good relationships. But when you have good relationships, isn't it nice to have a healthy relationship, driving a nice car, living in a nice home? There are benefits to you. They won't make you happier, but there are benefits that will enhance a happy family. God wants the best for you. I want the best for you. Let's pray. Father, we want to make the rest of our life the best of our life. So we choose to work with enthusiasm. We're not going to be lazy. We're going to work like we're working for you. Lord, we're making a commitment to sharpen our skills so that we can be better and better and not waste our time. God, help us to be reliable and dependable so people can trust us and count on us. Help us to maintain a positive attitude at work. Lord, we want that second mile principle in our life, that we're willing to go that second mile with a customer or for our boss or whatever in order to really be the best we can be at work. And Lord, we know about balance. We, we don't want to work so much that we don't have time for family and friends and certain things. But Lord, we want to have quality work coming out of us. And this is the commitment that we're making to you. It's in Jesus' name that we make this commitment. Amen.